John 14. The text is in your worship guide. I'll also be reading a couple of verses from Philippians 4. John 14, verse 25. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Philippians 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. And pray with me. Our Father, we ask that right now you would send your helper, your comforter to us to open up dull hearts and minds that we might hear from you. And not just hear from you and understand, but to believe and to be transformed. I pray in this moment my words will fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore. But Lord, may your words remain. and May they change us. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. One of my favorite chapters in the book of Proverbs is chapter 31, uh, which if you know anything about the book of Proverbs, you might be scratching your head because chapter 31 is all about the excellent wife or the excellent woman. And I don't love it just so I could kind of hold it up to Lauren and you know, tell her maybe some of the ways she's not measuring up. Um, I, I love it because it, it can be applied to men and to women. I mean, men, we ask women all the time. We call them brothers in Christ, you know. We, we, we try, we ask them all the time to apply the passages that speak about men. Equally, we can look at these passages that are about women and we can apply them to us. And so this standard that Solomon sets up about this excellent woman can be applied to us as well. And I, I love it. Proverbs 31, Solomon, he puts out there and he, he puts this standard, this lofty standard of what this godly person, this godly wife should look like. She's one who always does good to her spouse. She does all the shopping. She does all the cooking. She does all the cleaning. She also dabbles in real estate. She runs a small business In her spare time, she makes all of her own clothes and the clothes for her kids. She maintains her beauty. Everybody respects her. This is the woman that, if she had an Instagram account, you would all follow her and hate her. Your lives would become very bitter because of all of those incredible photos and everything that she's doing that you are not, yet yet you can't look away. You have to keep following. But there's this one characteristic when you read through it that, that stands out above all of them. 
She's got this one characteristic that is far harder to attain than, than just making one's own clothes or running your own business or taking care of the kids. And it's this. Proverbs 31.25 says that she is a woman who laughs at the future. She laughs at what is to come. This excellent woman, she looks ahead with all of its uncertainties, with all of its unknowns, and even though she has no idea what is coming her way, she could go ahead and start laughing at it. She, she laughs in joy at all of the potential blessings that might be coming her way, but then she can also laugh in derision at at all of the evil or the sorrow coming her way because she knows ultimately it cannot harm her. So she laughs in joy and she laughs in derision, but she is laughing as she looks at the future. And this is that one quality that, that to me it stands above all of the others that I just, I am in awe at, that she could laugh when she doesn't know what is to come. So let, let me ask you this, are you like her in this? When you look at the future, do you laugh at it? When you see all of those uncertainties, you know, if you're single and you're, you're wondering, will I ever meet the one? If you're married and you're wondering, will I ever have kids? Or if you have kids, you're wondering, what kind of kids are they going to turn out to be? Or if you're wondering, am I ever going to be able to save up enough to, to have a retirement you look into the future and you wonder, am I going to be healthy enough to ever and enjoy a retirement? All of these uncertainties there, when you think about those things, can you laugh at it? Can you? This woman in Proverbs 31 is a woman who is defined by peace. Peace. She's not full of fear. She is full of peace. She's not full of anxiety. She's full of laughter. Wouldn't you like that? Wouldn't you like your life to be defined by that? Now, the writer of Proverbs very well might have been writing about a person whose lifestyle is unattainable. I don't know many people who could run the small business, run the home, you know, launch new enterprises, stay beautiful. Like, I don't know many people who could do that. But this idea of laughing at the future and having peace is something that Jesus himself has promised us. That peace is possible because Jesus gives it to us. Verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Jesus is filled with peace here, even though in just a few hours he's about to be dragged away, tortured, and killed. And now he's comforting his friends by saying, I'm going to give you peace. It should be the other way around. His friends should be coming alongside him in a time like this, trying to tell him it's going to be okay, trying to tell him he needs to trust in the Lord, but, but they don't have a peace to give him. So Jesus, who has this peace at this time, he says, the peace I give you. The word here is Shalom. Shalom. Shalom was said both as a greeting and it was also said as a goodbye. 
in the Jewish culture, a greeting and a goodbye. And here it is Jesus' word of departure. It's his goodbye. And when he says shalom, he doesn't just mean I'm giving you peace as in an absence of conflict. He is saying, I give you prosperity. I give you well-being, both spiritually, mentally, physically. May this well-being and peace go to you. And he's not just saying it, Jesus is giving it. It might be helpful to think of this as Jesus' last word and testament. You know, when somebody dies, uh, the family gathers around, and the deceased, their last will and testament is read. Um, and it's a very special and emotional time that this is read, because when the deceased writes this, it's a way, even from the grave, that, that they could communicate once again, I know you and I love you. And so, a last will and testament, often there's, there's things that, that kind of are given to show how much you are known and how much you are loved. And so, a grandmother might give the granddaughter something like, you know, to my granddaughter, I give this red ruby ring because I noticed every time I wore it, she just looked at it and she loved it. And I know she will treasure it. Or, to my son, I give the, my 57 Mustang that you helped me build and repair because I know you'll love it and you will take care of it. And so these gifts show that I know you and I love you and this is something that you will use. That's what Jesus is doing here. He, he lacks any physical possessions. He doesn't have any physical things he could give them, but he's going to give them the, the one thing that they really need and the one thing that they will really treasure in the days ahead. He says, I'm going to give you peace. Peace. Shalom. Through my Holy Spirit, I will give you peace. And this is a peace that is so great that nothing in this world can match it. And the world's worst cannot take it away. It's an unshakable peace that allows us to laugh at whatever is to come. So let's define peace. What's, what's the definition of peace? Well, when you look at this text here, we, we can define it by its opposite. What is the opposite of peace? It's not anger. It's, it's not sadness. Because there's actually times where anger and sadness are appropriate. Peace is the opposite of fear and anxiety. Peace is the opposite of fear and anxiety. Chapter 14, it begins with, let not your hearts be troubled or anxious. And then Jesus has to repeat this later in verse 27, when he says, let not your hearts be troubled, and neither let them be afraid. And then Jesus gives his peace to act as a remedy to both fear and anxiety. And Jesus, he doesn't say to his disciples here, let not your hearts be sad. Because sadness and sorrow are a part of the Christian life. I think Jesus would expect his disciples to be sad at the events that are coming. Jesus himself was a man of sorrow. He was acquainted with grief. So sadness is a regular part of the Christian life. But anxiety and fear are never to be a part the Christian life. They have no part in the life that God has called us 
to live. The life of a Christian is to be one that is marked by peace, which I would say is an unshakable confidence in the goodness and the sovereignty of God. So how do we get it? How do we get this peace? Well, Jesus, he, he, he tells us the peace comes to us not as the world gives. So it's the opposite of how the world gives. So we, we need to kind of know how does the world give us peace? Well, the world gives us peace through circumstances. You, you know, we need to be able to control our environment. We need to control our circumstances. And then if we could control it enough, we can somehow manufacture peace. If we work really hard, peace is something that we can achieve. But, but there's a huge problem with this. Let me just ask, how many of you have blown it this week? How many, how many of you have blown it? All right, hands. I'm one hands, all right? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying, all right? We have, we've all blown it. You don't have to answer this one publicly. But how many of you parents have lashed out in anger and frustration at your children? I mean, you've really lashed out, not, not so much to scar them for life, but, you know, scar them for a few hours. How many of you have said something that was really unkind to someone you actually love, maybe a dear friend or a spouse? How many of you slept in a little too late and you weren't able to get up early to read your Bible and to pray because you had to rush off to work? How many of you are behind in your laundry? Behind in mowing the lawn, behind in paying your bills? How many of you haven't returned your mother's last phone call? That was five or six days ago. We, we, we've all blown it. We, we, we've all messed up. All right, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you just, just a phrase, just a few words as they're going to change your life. Here is a one-sentence sermon. You can fit this whole thing in a fortune cookie and hold on to it, and the rest of your life is going to be changed. And it's this. Try harder, all right? This week, I just want you to try harder, Okay? So, so if your marriage is, is not working well, I'd like you to try 10 times harder this week. 10 times harder and make it a stellar marriage. If your laundry's backing up, I want you to spend twice the amount of time that you normally spend on your laundry so you can get it all accomplished. If you've missed your prayer time, I would like you to get up one hour earlier every day this week so you can pray and read your Bible. If you've neglected your kids... I would like you to spend double the amount of time with each child so you can invest in them. If, if you're eating unhealthy, I would like you to spend more time and more money on your grocery shopping, more time cooking, perhaps time growing your own food. If you're having a hard time sleeping, well, I want you to work harder at it, all right? Maybe get one of those sleep mattresses. Keep a sleep journal. Get one of those watches that tell you how much you have slept. I want you to crush your sleep time this week, all right? Get out there and just conquer it. Bottom line, I want you to work harder in every area that you are failing at. 
so you can achieve peace. Don't you feel better? I mean, I can end here, every head down, every eye closed. You know, I, mean, I won't do that. I mean, didn't, didn't when you hear those words, didn't it just make all of your anxiety just kind of melt away? Like, oh, finally, finally, this is what I can do. No, no, you hear these words and you're completely overwhelmed. You're like, there's, there's no way I could do that. So let me ask you, why? Why, why, why do you actually believe that? The fears and anxiety that you have brought into this place are proof that that is what you actually believe. That if you were to just try harder, if you were to just control your environment a little bit more, then you could finally get that peace that you've been longing for. That's the peace that the world offers you. And it's a peace that lies to you because you cannot work hard enough to control your environment to ever achieve peace. It's a lie. Even if you could work hard enough, the peace that the world offers you is a false peace. It has no anchor in reality at all. The peace that the world offers you is the type of peace that says, if you work really hard and you have enough foresight, you could do things like you could build a giant ship that will never sink. God himself would not be able to sink a ship like this. Or you could say, if I just work hard enough and I just, just plan it out enough, I could build a home or a skyscraper that could be earthquake-proof, then I'll never be anxious again when an earthquake comes. Or you think, if I just work hard enough and I just plan enough, I can move into that, that nice neighborhood, the one with the really good school systems and the nice wide sidewalks, and, and if I just I could get there, then my family's going to be safe, and my children are going to turn out exactly how I want them to turn out. And it's a lie. And listen, this is a lie that we believe all of the time. Jesus says no. Peace is not something you achieve. Peace is something you receive. It's not something you achieve. It's something that you receive. The, the peace that Jesus gives here, it does not come from us working harder to just try to change all the circumstances around us. Jesus doesn't give us circumstantial peace because the problem with a circumstantial peace is it can never outlive the circumstance. It's always going to fail you. So instead, Jesus gives us a peace that won't change the circumstance, but a peace that will protect us from any circumstance. That's what Paul's talking about in Philippians 4. When he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I, I love that phrase. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding you could translate it this way. 
the peace of God that makes no sense whatever to your friends. Because it's not based on any circumstance. That's the peace that will guard your hearts and your minds. The peace of God does not change our circumstances, but it guards our hearts and our minds from these circumstances and the dangers they would normally bring. Paul uses military language here when he says the peace of God, it guards us, guards us. Later when he talks about peace, he also uses uh, military language in Ephesians 6 when he talks about the readiness of the gospel of peace. He says this is part of the armor of God that we wear. We put on these shoes that are the readiness of the gospel of peace. And and the shoes that he's describing, there are these these army kind of boots that on the bottom of them they have things like cleats to where a soldier could be very sure-footed and he would not slip. So when the assault is coming to him, he can hold his ground. And when Paul uses that language, he is saying that peace is this to us. Peace makes us sure-footed. When we have the peace of God, our feet aren't going to be knocked out from underneath us, in which we lose our bearing and we fall down. The peace of God guards us so that no matter what assault is coming our way, we can withstand it. So when things like financial troubles or sick children or failing relationships, they come and they hit us, we don't lose our ground. Our feet aren't swept away. Make no mistake that we will still have things attacking us. Things will attack us. But Jesus says we are now guarded from these things. We're guarded from the damaging effects of them, and we no longer have to fear them. The key to receiving this peace that we read in Philippians 4 comes from that simple word, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and then the peace of God. Paul says that when we, that we are to pray and we are to make a request and then we are to thank God before we ever get an answer. It's kind of the opposite of what you would think. Usually you get the gift and then you thank. But Paul says, no, you let your request be made and then you go ahead and you thank God. If you thank God before he gives you an answer, you're showing that the peace that God is giving you is not going to be based on any circumstantial change that might happen. You don't know what will happen, if anything will happen, how it would happen, when it would happen. You don't know those things, and it doesn't really matter because you're going to thank God for whatever he gives regardless. Because it's a peace that can withstand any circumstance. When you know God is sovereign and you know God is good, you could go ahead and thank him before you ever get an answer. Our church goes to Haiti several times a year to work in um, the Christian community called Canaan. Uh, My wife has been uh, five times now. I've been a couple of times. I always feel that no matter how much we try to prepare ourselves or prepare the teams, 
that are going for what they will experience and the mindset that they're going to try to bring. We, we never are quite prepared. In some ways, we still come in and kind of see ourselves as the savior of Haiti. You know, like, Haiti, it's okay. We're going to fix it. We're here. And we, we come in and we essentially, we want to teach these people how they can achieve peace. Let me tell you how you can achieve peace. You can achieve it by, you know, we're going to build these new structures. You can achieve it by, we're going to give you all these clothes. You can achieve it by, we're going to teach you how to farm, even in this poor soil. Let's teach you how to achieve peace. And, and we kind of go in with that mindset, and then we're just rocked because we look at a people who have peace. They already have it. And so then we walk away once again realizing, okay, peace is something we receive, not something we achieve. And I, I feel like I have to learn that lesson over and over. Pastor Henry and Sister Gladys, they have been a great example to, to my wife and I over the years. No matter what happens, you, you will hear Pastor Henry, well, who's been to Haiti? Who's been to Haiti with them? What does Pastor Henry say after everything? Praise God. Praise God. That's right. Praise God. So if it's, uh, hey, Pastor Henry, the, uh, the water pump just went, we don't have any water. Praise God. Pastor Henry, the, the truck just broke down. We have no transportation or money to fix it. Praise God. Pastor Henry, the rats have come and eaten through all of the food and all of the fresh fruits. Praise God. Those are all real examples that have happened <laughs> in our time there. And, and the response has always been one of thankfulness, of praise. And there's this peace that's there that, that just permeates that place because it's not a circumstantial peace. Now, now, some of you might, even as I'm saying that, you might think, okay, that, that might be a kind of peace, but it's a delusional peace. It is delusional to, to say that when all that is happening is just a delusional way of thinking. Well, let me tell you, I say you are wrong, and Jesus says you are wrong. You know what is delusional? Is doing the same thing you have been doing over and over and over again, thinking that this time you're going to get a different result. That's actually the definition of insanity. And some of you keep thinking, if I just could control a little bit more, if I could just maybe earn just a little bit more, if I could just hold this together just a little bit more, I'm going to finally have peace. And it comes crashing down, and your solution is, well, I just need to work harder. I just need to hold it together a little bit more. And you do that over and over. That's delusional. This is being set free. Lauren actually got to lead the trip to Haiti this past time. And she brought our 10-year-old girl, Natalie, with her. And Lauren said after they arrived in Port-au-Prince, you know, and you navigate through the airport, which is always kind of crazy, and trying to find your transportation back to, uh, to Canaan. And the driver pulls up in a cattle truck to pick up everybody. And Lauren sees this old beat-up cattle truck that they're all just going to be thrown in the back. And she looks at this and... And she is thinking, as she is about to lift up Natalie in there, she's like, what am I doing? What am I doing? She goes, all my life I have tried to protect this girl. 
She gets born, we buy a Volvo, you know. <laughs> All right, we're protecting this one. We protected Caroline too. Every time, you know, Natalie's in there, it's a, you know, it's the four, four point harness you got to put in there. Natalie rides a bike. It's always with a helmet, you know, so Lauren has worked really hard trying to protect this girl. And now she's thinking I'm about to throw her in a cow truck in a third world country where so many people die on the road. And she just had this little moment like, what am I doing? And she said, she just consciously made a decision. She said, Lord, I recognize you're sovereign, you're good, you're in control. And she loaded up Natalie. It's like, I release Natalie into your care. And it was just like this peace. I, I got to ask Natalie about the same experience. I said, Natalie, uh, tell me about you know, what happened when you arrived there. And she's like, well, I got to go into the back of this large truck. I said, were you scared? She's like, it was awesome. It's like, it was awesome. I mean, we were being bouncing around. Times I felt like I was going to fly out. And she's just, cars are zipping everywhere. Animals are getting in the road. We're just swerving around. I was like, well, weren't, weren't you scared? She goes, no, mama was with me. Mama was with me. Just the presence of a parent was such a comfort and peace to her. She was oblivious to her circumstances, having the time of her life, laughing at the future. That, that, that is a perfect picture of two different ways of looking at peace. One is saying, I trust in your sovereignty and I trust in your goodness, no matter what comes. And the other is this, I am comforted by your presence. And that's what Jesus promises in John 14. When he says, I give you my peace, he says, I am giving you my peace because he is giving us his presence through his Holy Spirit. The peace he gives is his Holy Spirit. It's, it's his presence that he is now with us. This is the peace that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, and your rod and your staff comforts me. You still have to go through the valley of the shadow of death. The circumstances have not changed, but the fear is gone. Why? Because of the presence of God. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, let me just ask a, a simple question. Do you know this peace, or does it sound completely foreign to you? This is the peace that God gives us through his gospel in which we believe Jesus was forsaken and he was abandoned so that we might never be, so that we would always know the presence of God. The gospel is one that believes that even though we, we walk through a valley of shadow of death, even when the death comes into our life, there is always resurrection. There's always new life to come. Jesus died to give us this peace. What I want us to do for our response time is to have a time in which we pray for this peace. Um, the band, you could go ahead and, and come on up here. Uh, what I want us to do is we're going to have a time where we, if you want to sing and just celebrate the truths that we have heard, I would love for you to do that. 
If you want to just stay seated where you're at and spend time praying through these things, asking Christ to give you his peace, may you do that. If fear and anxiety is something that you really struggle with and you would like somebody to pray for you, just come forward. I I would love to pray for you or one of our elders or wives would love to just take time and to pray for you during this time. But take time to reflect, take time to pray, take time to celebrate. And if you're weak in this, which I know we have people who are weak in this, allow others in to pray for you. I want to encourage you to do that. So take this time to just spend with the Lord.